Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Sometimes living in New Orleans can make you want to tear your hair out. You can barely drive around the city for more than 10 minutes without hitting at least one suspension-threatening pothole. It only has to rain hard for 30 minutes and streets start flooding, and at least once a year we're hit with a boil water advisory. And the power goes out with alarming frequency because our electrical grid is apparently in a constant state of fragility. If your observations about our engineering abilities stop there, you'd be justified in concluding we're a bunch of inept losers. But if you look a little harder and a little further east, you're going to get a different impression, a very different impression. Heading east on I-10, after you pass the remnants of another piece of failed engineering, the long-abandoned Six Flags theme park, you pass an innocuous-looking highway sign that says NASA Mishu Assembly Facility. If you took that exit, you'd find yourself in one of the largest manufacturing plants on Earth. There are over 43 acres of manufacturing space under one roof. You'll find 3,200 people working there. 1,200 of these people are directly involved in building a rocket. That rocket is called the Space Launch System, and it's part of a NASA program called Artemis. When it's finished, this will be the most powerful rocket ever built, and it's going to take astronauts to Mars. I'm not making any of this up. It's true. We can't fix the streets or keep the power on in New Orleans, but we can build a rocket to take astronauts to Mars. The current director of the NASA Mishu Assembly Facility is Lonnie Dutre. Lonnie, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you raise your gaze off the potholed streets of New Orleans, you don't have to look as high as deep space to see some other impressive engineering and architectural achievements. For example, the New Higgins Hotel and Conference Center, that's part of the impressive World War II Museum, or the Carondelet Street Hospitality Corridor, including the Ace Hotel. And then there's the St. Vincent Hotel and the 100,000 square foot co-working space at the CAC. All of these and many other notable examples of new and renovated construction in New Orleans are the projects of a construction company called Palmazano. Palmazano started in construction in 1950 and it's been in business continuously since. And oh, by the way, when you drive on a smooth section of New Orleans roadway and say, thank God they fixed this street, that's possibly the work of Palmazano's civil engineering division. The market leader at Palmazano is Nick Muldaner. Nick, welcome out to lunch. It's a pleasure to be here, thank you. Lonnie, New Orleans is known nationwide, even worldwide, as the home of Mardi Gras and the birthplace of both jazz and the cocktail. While these are certainly achievements, uh, so is the fact that we're a city that built NASA's Apollo Saturn V rocket, the rocket that first put men on the moon. We built the external fuel tanks that powered NASA's space shuttle for 30 years. And now we're building the world's most powerful rocket that's going to take astronauts to Mars. I'm saying we because the NASA Mishu Assembly Facility is in Orleans Parish. It is, in fact, part of the Ninth Ward. 
but I think it's fair to say that most New Orleanians and most Americans have very little idea of what an important part New Orleans plays in space exploration. Is that intentional? Is there some sort of national security reason for the secrecy? Or do you just have better things to do than get on Twitter? No, you're, you're right, it's not intentional. We, uh, we're, we're a little surprised too, when I first got to meet you about four years ago, um, there were very few people that knew we were even open. A lot of people remembered the external tank program. They remembered when, it, when we finished fl flying the shuttle and they thought it was done, Michu was done. Um, we're now building the Artemis uh, SLS core stage rocket that you talked about. We also build the Orion crew capsule uh, there at Michu, and we're tooling up to build the exploration upper stage. So a good portion of the rocket's built right there. So we do, we've, we've done a lot in STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math outreach to the young uh, schools and, and things. We have a public affairs officer, which uh, Craig is here with me today. We're trying to reach out to New Orleans and in the nation to say, we're here, we're back. We're building it right in your backyard. We partner with state and local uh, GNO Inc. and Louisiana Economic Development. So we are trying to get the message out. And you're right, four years ago, sitting in, in New Orleans for lunch, someone seen a, Na a NASA shirt and they said, what are you going to Stennis Space Center? I said, no, I work right here at Michoud. So <laughs> we are trying to get the message out. And, and you know, things like this, the podcast is, is an attempt to do that, to reach out and have people understand that we are building the rocket that's gonna put the first woman and the first per person of color on the moon. And then from there, we wanna go on to Mars. We need more pride, this is great. Yes, this absolutely. <laughs> Nick Palmazano has been in the construction business for three generations. The company was founded in 1950 by the current family owner, Wes Palmazano's grandfather, who originally made handcrafted carpentry and carved wooden animals. In recent years, the company has seen tremendous growth. In 2013, there were 11 employees, and today there are 150 employees. And in 2015, you added a whole new division, road construction. If you're looking for a business with long-term security, fixing the streets in New Orleans would seem like a great idea on paper. In reality, though, road construction is very different from putting up buildings. Staffing and buying the necessary specialty equipment is an expensive investment. And then starting out, you're bidding for work against companies that are more established. It seems like a high-risk bet. What gave you the confidence to expand Palmazano into road construction? I think it was mainly the opportunity to diversify uh, away from the vertical space and so our core business is vertical commercial construction um, and we saw the need here locally for uh, the civil operation and uh, ultimately identified a leader which is you know a big piece of our business is generally everything we do is first uh, starts with the leader and we did that and uh, Brett Ruppel's our uh, civil division leader and uh, you know it was easy to see that we'd be able to build a successful business around him um, and then with obviously there's a, a good amount of work in the market um, we leveraged Brett's expertise because it is a different delivery model the, the hard bid approach is not necessarily how we approach the commercial side on the commercial side we're generally negotiated partnership mentality involved early uh, on the civil side it's plans and specs and low bid wins um, and so it's actually been a great partnership with Brett in bringing that expertise in-house because it's trained our commercial teams 
to look at things differently and vice versa. We've uh, been able to move that civil operation and that team's mentality, both uh, leveraging them for the civil work that's in the market, but also working with our teams in a more partnership approach on negotiated projects. Let me follow up with something. You, I love horizontal versus vertical. This, sure. is, this is great. <laughs> the, uh, on the vertical side, do you do both new construction and then repurposing? Because I'm really familiar with the repurposing part. Yes, yeah, adaptive reuse and new construction is uh, uh, both, both well within our wheelhouse. Of course, being in New Orleans, there's uh, plenty of opportunity in the, the renovation space and the historic uh, renovation space. And so we've, we've generally run towards those projects. They tend to be just as complicated or, or even more complex than new construction. Uh, but it's certainly a niche of ours that we really enjoy. Lonnie, uh, when you are out there, one of the things that kind of hits me, but I don't hear much about that at all, is that there's other tenants in that amazing facility, and you're uh, uh, both uh, commercial and, uh, and, and government, and uh, so are you, in addition to building a rocket to Mars, are you also a landlord? Yeah, of sorts, and uh, from the Apollo days, as you, I mean, you realize, with the march of technology, the amount of buildings and infrastructure you needed back in Apollo is a lot less today. I mean, you got, you know, modeling tools, robotics. So we have facilities out there that we want to maintain because we could reuse them later. Uh, I'm kind of leveraging off the repurposing. <laughs> it's the same concept. So what we do is instead of letting them sit there and do maintenance on them, we lease them out. And what that helps us do is offset the cost of maintaining those buildings. So it's a win-win, right? We let tenants come in and lease the buildings. They can use the assets, the deep water port we have, uh, the security and fire protection we have inside the, the fence. So they get a benefit of being there. Our benefit is it offsets the total cost of NASA to operate the facility. So it's a win-win. We have commercial tenants, other government tenants, like you mentioned. So, uh, so it's a model that, that really works well for us in the surrounding community because you know, we both get what we want out of it. And you're a local kid, went to UNO for engineering, right? Went to UNO for engineering, got my undergraduate in electrical engineering and my master's in engineering from UNO, so yeah. Can I call you a rocket scientist? Uh, I guess you can, yeah. Because it'll be the first one I've met, so I'm just, I want to bring this up at parties and, and things like that. But yeah. Nick, my, um, my late father-in-law owned a road construction company, and, uh, and first of all, I know that's really difficult work. I mean, you're, it's hot out and you've got hot mix, and uh, he found it was difficult to um, find and keep employees. Uh, is that something you're dealing with, and how do you deal with it? Sure. I mean, we're dealing with it. It's a nationwide issue um, and certainly New Orleans is, is no different than most markets where uh, there's a lot of lot of work and opportunity and so what end up happening is that there's, there's a shortage of labor and uh, and so for us it's it's really gets down to uh, again finding finding those leaders and and generally with strong leadership uh, you know the, the resources tend to follow you know and, and people generally uh, want to be led and want to want to have great leaders and so we've we've again leveraged a strong leadership team that we've onboarded in the civil division and a lot of cases uh you know when when they've come from other places teams come with them um, as we become established obviously it, it continues to be a challenge growing means that you need additional resources and so in order to do that it's it's really about 
being competitive. Obviously, you have to have a competitive package um, at all levels, you know, so that's, that's everything from the labor in the field to the management staff, frontline managers, you know, the, the market's tight. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's competition is real. And so you have to have to show in a lot of cases something different, you know, and, and you know, aside from comp, it really gets in the culture, you know, and it, you got to create a space that people want to work at. And so that's what we've focused a lot of our business on is to make sure that that culture is exactly that. It's somewhere where people want to show up every day and work hard and be proud of what we I do. I got to say, when I went out to the sites, it seemed like a scared straight program. It was very, you know, it's very hot, very, very difficult. Let me ask, I'm going to ask you both this question, but one of the things, Lonnie, that uh, I was looking at the research and started to think about, during COVID, you had people working from home. Now, I can't imagine an odder sentence than that. You're building a rocket to Mars in their living room. Tell me how this worked. It's interesting because, you know, there was a lot of myths behind can you telework and still get work done. And for years, you know, we had virtual teams and, you know, but it really wasn't embraced. COVID drove us to that. So, and now it's it's a sort of the new norm, you know. Uh, the touch labor has to be there, you know, the people that are touching to build a rocket. But a lot of the engineering and I call back office financial, they don't have to be on site all the time. So what we did was we strategically uh, had those people go home and, te- and telework and come in as needed episodically to keep the touch labor there. So it kind of was a two-fold thing. It kept uh, the touch labor sort of distance from all the people that don't need to be there to protect them from virus. So, because if, if, if those individuals were sick, we couldn't build a rocket. But we found out that we can be effective, right? If you turn work into deliverables, you know, and you owe me some, something by eight o'clock tomorrow morning, I don't care if you do it at two o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock the night before, as long as I have it at eight o'clock in the morning. Whereas in the office, you know, it's more of, you know, you come to work, uh, you, you, I mean, you hand it to me before you leave, so it, it's more restrictive. We also found out that people love it. You know, you can, you can get up out of bed with your pajamas on, your cup of coffee, get online and you're at work, right? There's no commute, there's no gas, there's no parking. So we've embraced it completely. And NASA's actually, even after we come out of COVID, our model's gonna be a hybrid because it's just the morale goes way up. You know, it's a it's a better environment for workers, young people, like we talked about. People want something different than, you know, the old brick and mortar coming with an office. And we found that we can be very productive. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Lonnie Dutre from the NASA Mishu Assembly Facility and Nick Muldowner from the construction company Helmazano. Hey, Nick, what about yourself and uh, and COVID? I I would think. Um, you would be considered an essential industry. Did that protect you? We, we were considered essential, so uh, it allowed us to keep working. Obviously, we had to make some changes at the job site, but much like building the rocket and the, the hands-on piece of it, almost all of our work in the field is, is hands-on, uh, and so we're coordinating you know, hundreds of people every day to come to work, and, and so certainly COVID complicated that. Uh, but we we felt it was important uh, to to keep working, um, obviously for ourselves, for our community, the people. I mean, a lot of these these projects feed a lot of families, you know. And so, in a in a time where things are uncertain, uh, it was it was our goal to give some certainty and still being able to come to work. Of course, we had to do that in a safe way. And so, protocols changed the job site. We were 
obviously very mindful to make sure that everybody was going home safe at the end of the day like we always do. Um, but we, we noticed the same things in the office. So our stance was, you know, our you know, ladies and gentlemen go to the field every day. And so we generally encourage the office staff to be supportive and show up in the same manner. Um, but also understood the dynamics of the family shifted, schools, you know, you had a lot, a lot of the flexibility. And, and we, we learned the same thing. You know, the, the things that we did pre-COVID uh, now seem obviously inefficient. And, and you know, the, the virtual meetings and the flexibility of, of being able to work from anywhere is something that we, we leverage every day now, you know. And in some cases, uh, you know, I think New Orleans, it's a very New Orleans thing to meet, I guess, in my mind. So we, we used to enjoy, all right, let's get in the car and drive five minutes down the road to a client's office or vice versa. And then we, we meet and it's, it's an interaction and something we enjoy. But, but even that, as much as we previously enjoyed that, you're like, that takes too much time. We'll just see you on Teams or Zoom and <laughs> we'll catch you at lunch or something later. You know, but we, this is, we're able to get in an extra meeting every day or, or you know, accomplish something else because of the efficiency of well, Lonnie, what we've let learned. Me ask, I know because people are asking this. When will um, the mission to Mars take place and when will your part be completed? And Sorry to put this in three parts. And then how do you get it to the Kennedy Space Center? <laughs> All those things I don't know. Okay. Um, Artemis 1 is the one that will take the uncrewed cap capsule around the moon, so that's the test flight. So we'll launch it, we'll do everything that we would do with the crew, but without the crew, go to the lunar orbit and then come back and splash down. <clears throat> that's gonna happen late this year, early next year, real early next year. Artemis 2 is the first crewed mission, so that's when we'll have astronauts in the capsule and they'll do the lunar orbit, not boots on the ground at the moon, or Artemis 2, that's 2023. Um, 2024 time period. The Mars mission is out 2030s, so it's going to be out of ways. The part of the the 2024 with astronauts going to the moon is the gateway. If you hear that term gateway, it's like a space station. You know, they got the space station. Well, it's a mini space station around the moon. So when we say it's it's a reusable, a recurring event. Apollo, we put astronauts on the moon and we came back and we, it wasn't recurring. What we're gonna do with the gateway is it stays in lunar orbit and we'll launch astronauts. The capsule will dock to the gateway. They can live in the gateway and then the, the lunar lander will go from the gateway to the moon and then back to the gateway. So we can reuse it. The astronauts come home and keep it like a, like a small space station. So the near-term events are Artemis One launch early, uh, late this year, early next year. Artemis 2 is 2023, and Artemis 4, when we actually put astronauts back on the moon, is 2024. And then you said Mars now, was out of 2030s, so. yeah. So, I mean, and those are tentative dates. The one we know Artemis 1 is going to launch, that's here. Artemis 2 is pretty close. And then, you know, as things work, you know, but uh, the first launch is very important. Artemis 1 will be our first one with the integrated vehicle, capsule, and test all the systems. And well, that's I love the fact you said, uh, as things work, as if, I have a pretty good timetable on sending somebody to Mars. <laughs> well, yeah, it, well, it, and that's what I mean. You know, it's kind of hard to predict that. You know, we, there's a lot of milestones have to happen pre that to, to, to enable the Mars mission. Lonnie, we talked about um, Nick trying to find the right people for a job. How do you find people in NOLA that can design and build what you're making? Is it, are they around? Do you have to bring them out from out of town? 
a, a, a little bit of everything is, you know, when, when external take program ended, a lot of that talent either retired, you know, they were older uh, or, uh, or it went away. And we're basically an oil and gas industry driven town. So when we got back into the aerospace world, there was a, there was an issue with trying to get people that had hands-on experience. You can't just go, you know, find them on the street anywhere. So what has happened is some of our contractors have partnered with uh, Nunez Community College for technician labor, and they establish a program where they collaborate. So when they graduate, they're sort of building their talent. And we're working with the universities, UNO, LSU, to do a similar thing, to get talent, homegrown talent. Short term, though, they had to bring them in wherever they could. They had some of them, they brought them in from other states that had experience. Uh, and some you grow, right? You hire locally. What I want to see happen is those partnerships with our local UNO, LSU, Xavier, all those universities feed it, right? Because we want a 10 to 15 year program at Michu. I'd like to see the feeders coming from local universities. So, I mean, you know, the engineering degrees are important, technician degrees, but specific hands-on, you, you, you have to kind of be in that industry to see the specifics. Um, so, and, yeah, it was a challenge, I, I'll say. And Nick, what about, uh, people would get angry at me if I didn't ask this question, is, is there something about New Orleans that makes the roads difficult to, to hold up? Is it we're below sea level? Is that, is that part of it? or? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm not an engineer necessarily, but uh, we do obviously do a lot of work in that space. And so it's a, I think it's a combination of obviously the soils and the environment that we're building in. Um, also the, the engineering of the systems that were used previously versus what we know to work today. And so obviously the, the hope and expectation is, is that the way we build today is better than the way we built yesterday. And so over time, these, these roads and, and utilities should perform, obviously, better and longer than the systems that are in place today. Lonnie, when I think of Mishu, I, I begin to think of, you know, kind of like the space shuttle and how that ended. And then other projects have ended. These one-offs, I guess you'd call them. Uh, is there a plan for making it less like that? Absolutely. This is not a, a one-off. That's a good question. We're transitioning from what we call design, development, and testing into production. So the first one, we have actually Artemis 2, 3, and 4 in production at Michu. And then we're tooling up to do the exploration upper stage, which would make it more powerful rocket in Orion crew capsule. We've delivered the first two Orions to Kennedy for the crewed and uncrewed. So we're looking at a 15-year program, a sustainable program. Now, you know, we have to be successful with our launch and, and you know, and do, do what we said we were going to do. But, yeah, this is a long-term program. It's like to show, you know, we want a 15-year program where we go into production. So it wasn't, it's not a one and done. It's a we got the first one out the door. We're ready to get the second one out the door, which we're working on now, and it's in the third and fourth. Nick, prices for what you do, particularly in the road construction business, have soared, you know, whether it's supply chain problems or the price of oil, what happens when you're working in that business? You, uh, you give somebody a price and then all of a sudden the commodity prices start to rise. I mean, are you clobbered? What, what happens? Uh, depends on the contract structure, really. I mean, in some cases we've, we've been at risk, but I mean, our, 
Our goal is obviously to mitigate risk for the project as a whole and for the team as a whole. The team for us includes all partners, owner, design team, obviously ourselves. So, and the way we do that is really working closely with trade partners and we have to dig deep and understand the supply chain, right? We can't just hope and pray that things work out, really. So it's like we gotta, we gotta go layers and layers and layers into where these things are actually being built, made, is the factory running? How often is it running? When should we expect it? We're watching commodities in general. Um, and so really it's a forecast of what to expect when we're actually building. And in a lot of cases, uh, we're taking the opportunity to procure early. And when you get these higher costs, do you have to absorb them all or can they be, because they're not your fault obviously, can you pass them on to the, the customer? Yeah, like I said, generally it's, it depends on the, the agreement. You know, the, the agreement kind of dictates everything we do. Nick, I wanted to ask you, you know, some of the things you mentioned, I know we both share as people that are teleworking now and, and, uh, and, uh, and you know, when we come back out of COVID, it's going to be a hybrid. People aren't going to go back. But what, what, what was interesting you said is, what are you seeing like for real estate where people were renting office space and office buildings? Well, you know, I would, if I'm in, in that business, I'd be worried that, you know, why would you rent space anymore when just like, like you and I found out, you can get a lot of work done from home. Sure. And I've seen some articles about entrepreneurs taking that and converting them into apartments and stuff. Right. Now, I guess re repurposing, like you said. That's I was just right. asking, have you seen a lot of that in New Orleans? Or? Sure. Yeah, we've actually run a, a lot of different cost models and, and tried to uh, help our developers understand what's, what's next, especially in the high-rise scenarios, I think, are the spaces that mm -hmm. most people are curious about. Um, but at the same time, we, we just wrapped up a few TI builds out. So it just, again, it just depends on the personality and the approach of, I think, the, the organization. Uh, but what we've also seen is more of a boutique approach. And so people don't necessarily want to be in the high rise, but they still have to collaborate and work together physically. And so they may be moving the magazine and being more of a small shop, you know. And so it's a different approach instead of riding up and down the high rise with a lot of different people. They have a more intimate space that's just purpose-built for their, their organization. Lonnie, yeah, I, you know, in addition to what you were talking about, nobody knows you're out there in New Orleans East, there seems to be, and, and this isn't right, but they kind of people have lost interest in the space program a bit. I think so. I, you know, it's like anything, when we f first put someone on the moon, we, ha we haven't done it before, so it was just like, wow. And then we made it look easy. You know, and then we, we quit, and when the shuttle first started launching, it was, you know, it's a new thing, it's, you know, really cool, and then as you, as you do it repetitively, I think it people just, it just becomes, you know, well, we're doing it again, so we're trying to, and I think it's, it's whole, it's getting hold, it's taking hold that this is a new adventure, this is not only going back to the moon, but it's going back to the moon with a presence. Because, you know, the whole purpose of the moon is we're going to go and put a presence on the moon. That's why you hear so much about water. If you get water, you can turn it into hydrogen and oxygen, which is fuel and oxidizer to run a rocket engine. So if you launch from the Earth, you got to get out of the pull of gravity. It takes more energy to do that. But if you launch from the moon, 160 Earth's gravity, it's a lot less energy for the same payload, same mass. And you hear that a lot with, with a rocket. It's... How much mass can you get up? Not how powerful it is, but how much payload. That's king, right? So if your rocket's real powerful, but it can only lift itself, it's not very good. So 
that's the exciting part of this mission is to have a presence on the moon and then go from the moon to Mars. So you're right. It's I think we've uh, <laughs> by our own uh, you know we we do things and make it look easy and it's not easy. But this is a new mission. This is a you know a sustained. Uh, and we're going to get people back on the moon. excited about it, all of this. back excited about yeah. it. So when we when we launch Artemis, that's the first step. You know where we're going to go back and go around the moon again and come back and then we launch a crew. So that's the that's the hope is we get people re reinvigorated on exploring space. I mean, that's what we're here for. And then when we go to the moon, then we're going to have a base on the moon and then we go to Mars. So well, this it's working at our table because I can see the light bulb over Nick's uh, head and he's thinking construction, buildings, roads on the moon. Very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <he's gonna laughs> well, well, it's the infrastructure part. You're right. It's very important. People like to look at the, you know, the, 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 the smoke and fire part, but it's all the, the, the uh, intangible in, in, in infrastructure. If you're going to live on the moon, you got to have a way of a habitat, how to get around. How to, so it's, it's really, it's a, it's a broad industry of support and stuff that, that comes out of it. Nick, one, uh, sometimes some business folks will come on the show and they'll note that we haven't built a new skyscraper in the city in, a, in, in decades. Uh, does that give the whole picture or is it it's just shifted with what we're doing. So you're speaking to just doesn't seem like there's a lot going, a lot going on, on because yeah, right. we're not like Nashville where you have 30 cranes in the air. Yeah, I think the, the it's partly to do with the uh, you know the, the way we live and work, you know, and so the the high rise construction, uh, the density is not necessarily there to necessitate that, um, and so maybe maybe that's part of it, but. Certainly, you can you can ride around town, and there's there's construction and development happening uh, at, at a pretty impressive rate still. You know, I know the last 10 years have been big for New Orleans uh, CBD warehouse district, and we're we're continuing to see the pipeline. There's still a lot of interest in New Orleans. It's funny you mentioned Nashville because that's where you're kind of expanding to. That's right. Yeah. So we're we'll continue to be headquartered in New Orleans, which we're very proud of. But then we're we're also proud to kind of bring the the business model and our culture to both Nashville and actually Salt Lake City also. So we're partnering with a local developer, uh, domain companies who we, we work with closely on the Carondelet Corridor, uh, amongst other projects. Matt they, Schwartz and company. That's right. That's so Matt, Matt and Chris are uh, great friends and, and partners of ours. And so we're going to be working with them on a project in, in Salt Lake City also. It's not unusual for people who live in small towns to believe they're the center of the universe. You don't have to go very far to find the self-described strawberry capital of the world, Ponchatoula, or even the even more quaintly delusional rice capital of the world, Crowley, Louisiana. In New Orleans, we don't have a grandiose slogan to market ourselves with. If there is anything, it's laissez le bon temps rouler. While it's an attractive part of our DNA not to take ourselves too seriously, it's also worthwhile celebrating the enormous achievements in business, engineering, and science in New Orleans. Lonnie, your people at NASA Mishu in New Orleans East are taking us to another planet. Nick, Palmazano is well into the third generation of building the city itself. It's worth noting once in a while that we have more to be proud of in New Orleans than just food and music. Lonnie and Nick, Thanks for giving us that opportunity today, and thank you both for taking the time to join me on Out to Lunch. Thank you, thank you so much for having us. Yep. Appreciate it. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Lonnie Dutre, current director of the NASA Mishu Assembly Facility, and Nick Moldaner, the market leader 
at Palmisano. We edited the show to fit into our time slot here at WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about NASA, Palmisano, New Orleans, and Mars by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website. It's neworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Aster Morgan. You can find more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinay. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Jones Walker. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Out to Lunch is brought to you by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.